Welcome to Outside Game, the podcast. I am the host with the most, Keith Bullock, with my man, Don Povia, riding shotgun. What is up, Mr. Monday Night? And we are recording fresh off of the conference championship games as well as the national championship game. So it's good to be back, but we're going to mix things up a little bit this week, and we're going to do a recap show and talk some football. I don't think we've talked much football on the show, have we? Uh, we've talked football in passing, but never featured um, football and given our expertise knowledge on the game or games that have uh, been t- taking place, considering we did start our podcast during football season. Yeah, I think that was kind of by design. I think we wanted to, you know, kind of uh, spread our wings a little bit and show our, our diversity in terms of what we could talk about. But let's get back to our bread and butter right now. So, man, you must be riding high down there in Nashville. The Titans making a run. I don't know who expected that. Maybe you did. Maybe some people down there, but uh, certainly not on the national level. Yeah, no, nah, like I definitely would say I wasn't one that would expect that the Titans will be in the AFC championship game, but I definitely am always a supporter. You know, it's hard not to be, uh, you know, playing here for 10 years, retiring here as a Titan. So they always have my support. Um, I also do a radio show for the Titans. So, you know, I'm definitely up on, you know, the weekly ins and outs of the team. So to for them to have started two and four, uh, Marcus Mariota to lose his starting position. Ryan Tannehill step in um, and, you know, help them win a lot of, and put them in position. Derrick Henry becoming the rushing, you know, champion, running for 180 yards um, every game in the playoffs uh, thus far. That's crazy. This guy's averaging 180 yards a game rushing in the playoffs. Um yeah, man, they have a formula for success right now. And, you know, those guys are – Mike Vrabel has his team flying high. I mean, one game away from the Super Bowl, which brings me back to you. I think it's it's kind of interesting, two things. I think you were in the last time that the uh, team was in the, um, you know, the AFC championship game. But also before we do that, I always, always got a kick out of uh, sort of your Super Bowl bookends. Why don't you tell us what happened there and, and, and how you never quite managed to get there, but you were about a year away. Yeah, that's his whack. But, um, yeah, so – you know, everyone remembers the the Music City Miracle in 99. That was the Titans AFC wildcard game. Well, that was um, the year that I was coming out. So year 2000 is actually the year that they played in the Super Bowl against the Rams where they didn't, when they missed it by a yard, to send it to overtime. So then I get drafted that year in the year 2000, have a great 10-year career here in Tennessee. The furthest I've ever made it was, um, um, what, uh, AFC championship game played on two 13 and three teams, two number one seeds. You know what I'm saying? Um, so then I get drafted. I don't get drafted. Then I go to the Giants my last year. Um, it's been an inaugural season of, um, what is it, MetLife Stadium? Yep. And uh, we finished 10 and six, but it was the, the game that Deshaun Jackson ran back the punt. And I was standing next to Coach Coughlin, around or near next to Coach Coughlin when he told the punter to punt it out of bounds, but instead he punted to Deshaun Jackson. He returned the punt. I yo, it was like I think Philly scored like 24 points in seven minutes. It was like one of the, it was like, hey, I, I watched the whole thing happen. It was an unbelievable comeback, you know what I'm saying? But that pretty much eliminated us out of the playoffs. I retired that next season, 
the Giants go and win the Super Bowl. So I, my whole NFL career came between the two teams that I played in, played on going to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, that's my bookend story. Yeah, yeah. Now, I guess the last time, again, that the, the team was in the, uh, the position, you know, one game away from the Super Bowl, uh, you played on that team. What year was that? That was, uh, did I hear it correctly in, in an interview earlier? Was that 17 years ago? Did I yeah, get- but, yeah, it was um, It was a 2000 season, but the playoffs were in 2003. So that's why it always throws it off. So, yeah, um, 2003 was the last time that the Titans have played in the AFC Championship game. You know what that means? I mean, it's just we're fucking old. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I've had a whole pretty much career. <laughs> I heard that number and I said, that 17 years, that just can't be right, man. That's that's a lifetime ago. And, and think about it. The guys that are playing in this game were probably uh, in diapers at the time. Uh, any parallels that you see between your team? Obviously, you had a big running back. You got a big running back now. Um, you know, strong defense. Uh, you know, any parallels that, that you've made between that, I will say, 03 team and this team? Um, not really. I would say the only parallel is like earlier in the season, I remember when they were two and four and everybody was jumping down their jumping down their throats. Now they weren't playing consistent uh, football. Obviously, their record speaks for itself. But, you know, this team was just in the playoffs two years ago. You know, Mike Vrabel just got here last year. So there's an adjustment period. Arthur Smith just took over the offensive coordinator. Um, position this year so there's an adjustment period there so it's one of those things that I just I know football and like any it it, all you need is a win you know what I mean and look you can't at two and four you can't be counted out now if it was like two and six or something like that all right you might want to start thinking about who you're going to draft next year but you know in that position with the players that they had and the things that they um would come in each different player would come in and say weekly um, they knew that they were just like a couple plays away from winning a game. And then, like I said, all it takes is one win and then they just snowball. So they were fortunate enough to put themselves in a position in December to compete for a playoff position. And, um, you know, last game of the season, they were able to get that win in Houston and bring it on home. Now, speaking of Rabel, man, he just seems like a character to watch. Like it's, it's enjoyable. Um, you know, and, and speaking of kind of the run that they've gone on, particularly in the playoffs here, um, you know, going after his old team and, and putting the Patriots down, you know, it's almost like the NWO. He just kind of comes out and power bombs his his, his old team. And like, you know, it's, uh, you know, it was good to see that, uh, you know, new guard, old guard with, with Belichick and certainly with Brady. Uh, and then, you know, the, the Ravens who I would have thought if I had a bet going in, uh, you know, I would see them coming out of the AFC, very strong team, obviously Lamar Jackson. Um, but, you know, kind of going back to that Patriots game, uh, you know, how do you feel about the Pats uh, this season? I know a lot of people, particularly even friends I know up in New England, are, are almost saying, all right, it was nice. Tom should have gone out on his white horse last year. Um, you know, I, 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 for one, never count those guys out. But, um, you know, is it kind of time to turn the page on, on the Patriots? Um, I mean, look, if they come out with the, they're going to have to up, update and really upload that roster um, offensively. Um, when you think about it, who did Tom Brady have? He had Edelman and he had um, the running back, uh, White, I believe. Um, that's his last name. But um, after that, there really were no other options. So you double team those guys on third down 
And what else is he left with? He's left with young rookies and, you know, guys that haven't been on the roster a long time. You know, his throws were still there, but it's just a matter of execution um, all the way 100% from an offensive standpoint. So, look, I, I say that I give him a two-year deal because I believe his contract's up. I'm going to give him a two-year deal. And I'm definitely drafting a, a first round, you know, the best quarterback that I can get uh, with my draft picks for time to, to groom him. And I, at 42, going on 43, come on, man, I feel Tom Brady would have to be cool with that, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, but yeah, I don't. But like you said, man, you can never count those guys out because they went 12 and four on a depleted roster. Um, think about if they, you know, upgrade some skill positions, get some, get Tom some firepower, get him some options to throw the ball to. Uh, they lost one of the best tight ends in the in the league, maybe in history, you know, with Gronk being out. So that's a big loss. Well, you know what? If they had just, uh, you know, tur- turned the other cheek, they could have had A. B. and Josh Gordon, and then Edelman as their number three. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, that would have been interesting. Uh, I saw somebody post about that the other day. What about the notion um, that Tom would want to win without Bill and vice versa? Do you think there's that sort of relationship between them? I mean, we're outsiders. We don't know. But, you know, do you ever you ever get that feeling as a professional athlete? Uh, like, that sounds like Shaq and Kobe to me. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's one of those things at this point for football, like at any age, any sport, you know, Tom Brady would be considered over the hill. So what type of, um, you know, why would you even want to, you know, start that situation? Like I'm going to go somewhere else and win without Bill. Who says that somewhere else wants you? Because, you know, there is a certain thing as snap count and Tom Brady has definitely beat the odds, but, you know, maybe in someone else's scouting department, they see it differently. And, um, you know, they don't hold as much value for Tom Brady as maybe we on the outside do or uh, the New England Patriots do and might not be willing to pay him that top dollar to come there to play for a team for a couple of years. So, so you know, kind of going back to aging quarterback, somebody we mentioned the other day is, uh, you know, a guy like Eli um, who saw that passing of the guard and, uh, you know, this particular year it took it in grace. Actually, it's funny you bring up drafting a quarterback by the Pats and you see who's, you know, running the show in the NFC right now is, is Garofalo. Um, so that's interesting of yeah. kind of what you let go. Um, but yeah, there there is that sense of, uh, you know, kind of having to draft for the future. So a guy like Eli, and I think we, we might have mentioned this. I know you uh, you curl with, with Mark Bolger, um, but, you know, Bolger was another guy, you know, had success, uh, but, you know, kind of followed up on a Hall of Famer and Kurt Warner. Um, you know, guys like Tom, guys like Eli, who, you know, I think for all intents and purposes handle it, you know, very gracefully. Um, you know, when is time to, you know, pull a Montana and go to Kansas City or, um, you know, just kind of buckle up and, and I don't want to say wrestle in your laurels, but they, they both won multiple championships. Well, I mean, look, this is a business decision. You know, how does your body feel? Do you want to uproot your family and go somewhere? How how comfortable are they making the situation for you? Granted, Eli is not 42 like Tom Brady, but he's up in his um, upper 30s. So, you know, he might be comfortable living in North Jersey and, you know, just just chilling and doing something maybe in football operations with the Giants, taking a step back 
for a while or maybe making some commercials with his brother, you know, Peyton, Peyton got a, got a good thing going on. Uh, I think that, um, well, spe- well, speaking of which, no, let me stop you there. Cause speaking of which, I mean, so is it so much a, a business decision because either one of those guys I think is going to be financially sound the rest of their lives, uh, you know, unlike a lot of players in this league. So how much has to do with business decisions and how much has to do with just ego and mentality? And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm just saying yeah, that no, sort of competitive I mean, drive. And that's what I was saying. It's all a business decision because even if your ego and mentality tells you to go go back out there, you have to make the decision, the business decision, is it the right place to go? You know what I mean? Like you might want to go, go back out there, but you might not have the right situation. Look, every player wants to continue to play. Eli Manning says he wants to continue to play. He said he will not be a backup and he doesn't really see himself going somewhere else. But what is always true is regardless how much you want to continue to play, the game always has a way to let you know that it's done with you. You know what I mean? So um, the game has a way of saying goodbye. Sometimes it's nice, usually it's rude. But um, you know what I'm saying? You, you find out, and then you have to figure out um, what's the next step in life. And um, it, it always comes. It always comes. Now, you know, the AFC kind of just seems stacked. You know, talking quarterbacks, um, you know, like kind of going back. I mean, I thought, you know, Lamar had a MVP type caliber year. How much does this particular performance or, or lack thereof in the playoffs reflect upon the season that he has and, you know, kind of moving forward? I don't think, I think, look, he passed for 300 and ran for over 100. First player to ever do that. You know, I just think that the Titans had a great game plan. They forced him to do things he didn't want to do. Um, Playoff football is much different than regular season. Playoff football comes down to one game plan and execution. And if uh, the Titans, who just played a tough game the week before in New England, uh, they already executed the game plan. They were already um, lathered up. You know, they already had a, a, um, a fight before they got to Baltimore. Baltimore was riding high, you know, riding high off a great, like you said, MVP performance from their quarterback, a stellar uh, season as a team. Um, but look, you got to readjust when you come to the playoffs. And I think that the Titans personnel with Rashawn Evans being able to run sideline to sideline whenever Lamar Odom, I'm sorry, Lamar Odom, <laughs> uh, whenever Lamar Jackson wanted to uh, keep it, you know, yeah, he might get the corner and get four or five yards, but Rashawn Evans' speed was only allowing him to get four or five yards, whereas weeks before and weeks prior, we've seen him get that corner, make a move on somebody, and be able to get about 14, 15, 20, 30, 40 yards. So I think that was the the key factor, whatever um, game plan Coach Pease, Dean Pease, defensive coordinator for the Titans had in play, it was a great one. You talk about only having to win one game and, and kind of game planning uh, from game to game and week to week, but something I've heard you speak about quite a bit is uh, the way that the Titans are built as as a um, you know from a personnel standpoint. And it's quite different than, you know, a lot of teams that we see now. So can you speak a little? I know you talked about, uh, again, on, in, in other places, so we'll do it here at our place, uh, about the league being built to stop that sort of passing game, the way the Titans are built, and then also how the Titans have built their offense. 
Well, I, you know, I say if you look around the league, um, and it's true. I've been working. I've been retired ten years. I've been working with the seven on seven passing camps um, all around the country the last seven eight years, and a lot of these kids are now in the NFL. Um, you know, maybe in their second or third year or even their first. But um, yeah, and the way the league has evolved, like you're seeing the RPO run pass option, you're seeing these spread offenses, you know, um, obviously it was, it, it didn't just start, you know, it's been here, you know, with Peyton Manning, uh, Matt Stafford, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. So these offensive coordinators come from the college game and want to spread the game out and throw the ball all over the field. Um, and that's great if you're built that way. But when you're speaking about the Titans roster, you know, um, John Robinson didn't necessarily put it together that way. Um, you know, Marcus Mariota had a different skill set than that, and they built it around Marcus Mariota. Um, they also drafted Derrick Henry. You have uh, Taylor, Mawan, Taylor Lewan, who's a stud at um, tackle. You have Jake Conklin. You know, so they built their line and everything for, I feel, to be able to do have a balanced offense, you know, to be able to feature that run option as well as that pass option. But with the changing of the guard and um, Mariota and Tannehill being the quarterback now, you take it takes away the threat of the running back. So this, I mean, the quarterback using his legs, so to speak, with Mariota being the more agile, more of the runner of the two. So what do they do? They give it to Derrick Henry, you know, utilizing that line and those, and those draft picks that I said, and, and that line has played well together. You saw it in the last year, last season, Derrick Henry was starting to um, emerge as a, a dominant running back. And then this year, Arthur Smith is his first year as offensive coordinator. You know, first half of the year, he has to figure out his playbook. He has to figure out his personnel. One thing he didn't have to figure out is if I give it to Derrick Henry, we can win some games. And, um, you know, that's that's pretty much how how it's been working for them And you know, defenses have been having a lot of trouble stopping this man because, one, that offensive line is opening holes, and, two, you know, this league is built to stop the pass. The linebackers are smaller. You know, the um, <clears throat> a lot of teams go with the five defensive backs, so their third uh, linebacker that comes in isn't used to getting that much playing time, especially, right. like, if it's a 4-3 defense. He's not used to being out there, so... You know, when it's crunch time and you got to put your big boy pads on, they don't got them. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's, it's interesting. Playoff football is interesting. And then the team that can stay healthy usually wins. It's just almost like um, change it up for you. Take it back to the East Coast. Um, you know, with your Philadelphia Eagles. You know, um, Carson Wentz gets hurt on a – you know what? Once the quarterback runs past the line of scrimmage, he makes he declares himself as a running back. So I don't think Clowney that was a dirty hit. He just finished him. And um, you know, being a quarterback any or anybody really, your head getting smashed into the ground might give anyone a concussion. So I don't think it's fair when people <laughs> call Carson Wentz fragile. Now, you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean. It, it, it was a shame to see it after sort of the adversity that he went through. And I mean, but talk about staying healthy. I mean, before he even took that hit, I mean, the, you know, they had 
multiple uh, <laughs> uh, practice squad, you know, weapons. You want to talk about lack of weapons? Um, you know, his, Greg Ward was his leading receiver coming into the playoffs. Just about they, he throws for four thousand yards. Didn't have a single wide receiver with uh, with five hundred yard receiving. So I I think. You know that's a credit to him making the most of what he has. It's certainly a credit to uh, guys like Deuce Staley and and um, and Coach Peterson. Um, you know, in ter- terms of the hit, I-, I think we're I think where fans get upset is that you know there are other uh, you know there are other calls that were pointed to earlier in the year where all right, you know, he didn't give himself up here. He did give himself up here. And there's just this gray area of making the calls, and and it was unfortunate. Um, you know, did I? expect to go as far as we did no but I, I certainly thought that that game uh was winnable um the seahawks i do like russell wilson as a quarterback well, but russell you know, wilson is the man bro russell yeah wilson, no he's I, nice I, I do but i i i was saying i mean they were banged up themselves i mean you got marshawn lynch kind of pulling them off you know and, and marshawn lynch yeah. is marshawn lynch but you know, it was just kind of circumstantial. Um, so I didn't get too high. I didn't get too low. I mean, I think it kind of goes back to just how shitty that division is, you know, on top of it. Um, you know, the Cowboys just gave it away. The Eagles barely wanted to to, to grab it. I mean, if the Eagles had beat the Dolphins, uh, it wouldn't have even been an issue. But they lost to the Dolphins. And the Dolphins, you know, if the Dolphins didn't beat the Patriots, it could have been a different situation, the AFC. So, you know, the chips fall where they go. And, um, you know, going back to the East and being banged up, uh, you know, the Eagles are, are hard to hard to peg because, you know, defensive backfield, offensive line, wide receivers. Uh, I mean, they, they're two running backs, you know, where you had a rookie, he gets hurt. Uh, you know, they have a practice squad guy comes off. So, yeah, it was tough. I mean, but that's that's the name of the game. Um, you know, so who can complain about that? But, you know, staying with the AFC, uh, the NFC East, um, you know, the Redskins just are an absolute mess. Uh, the Giants, um, you know, yeah, kind of that conference, man, that conference is that NFC East. It's any year. It's anybody's at nine and seven. And I always, well, I always say too, because they're going to split their games. They usually win one and, and lose one, right, in the conference. And so that's how your your record ends up like you do, because they just play each other pretty tough for for the most part. Um, but that kind of brings us to the Cowboys, who, like I said, I mean, should have just grabbed that division and just just couldn't. Um, you know, they certainly had the weapons uh, with Cooper and and Zeke, and you know, Dak is, you know. Uh, I don't want to say up in the air, but you know you got to start winning some games. Um, but then here comes Jason Garrett. <laughs> now you got the Jason Garrett story. So yeah, like from a from a fan perspective, like when you see, um, you know, Doug Peterson was a former uh, backup quarterback. You know, Jason Garrett, former backup quarterback for their respective squads, the Eagles and the uh, Cowboys. And you know, outside looking in, you see their coaching styles. Um, what does it make you think? Obviously, Doug Peterson already having a Super Bowl in his short tenure. Um, but Jason Garrett, you know, is what is played his coach mediocre football. I would say they, the Dallas Cowboys has not won anything in his tenure or anything. Not to say that Jason Garrett is a bad coach, but as a fan, um, based off everything you said about this year, they should have wanted to walk away with the division because of the talent. Um, what what does that make you think about coaching in the NFL and different coaches and how they go about operating their teams? Well, I don't. I mean, what was Jason Garrett's 
background before. I mean, where's his coaching tree come from? I'm not even he sure. Was a Dallas, he, he was a um, I don't know his coaching tree, but I know that he was the backup quarterback for the Cowboys for like 10, 12 years. He never left the Cowboys organization. Right. Well, it's kind of going to my point, you know, Peterson, you know, played under Andy Reid, coached under Andy Reid, you know, played under Favre, right? So, um, but I think that Andy Reid, I never gave enough credit for in Philadelphia here because I, I just feel like it was just, you know, we were just always second fiddle to everyone. But what I will say is that, you know, his his ability to get the most particularly out of that position um, was unheard of. I mean, you know, you're, you're close with Donovan, but you know, Donovan got hurt and Coy Detmer came in and they won games. And then Donovan got hurt and, you know, AJ Feely comes in and they win games and they flip him for a second round draft pick. Kevin Cobb, right. Got all these guys, um, you know, not to say Donovan was a system quarterback, but the system kept running, you know, with or without him. And I think that's, kind of like Peterson, right? So he he has an offensive system that he's kind of learned from and and seen be effective. Um, you know, Garrett, on the other hand, the big knock on him is that he was hired because he's a yes man and, and he's there. So I, I just haven't seen much from him. Um, you know, Peterson certainly question a lot of what he does, but, um, you know, I think that what he's been able to get out of who he's been able to get it out of, um, you know, is, is shows that he set something up correctly. You know, I mentioned Deuce Staley earlier, um, kind of watching him, well, balloon and wait, <laughs> but also <laughs> develop as, as a coach on the sideline. Um, you know, I, I think he should be talked about pretty soon in the same, uh, you know, same breath as, as Eric B again, coaching under Andy Reed, out there in Kansas City now is too. And I think Deuce has done a really good job. So, you know, and then Jim Schwartz on the defensive side. So, you know, at least what I've seen with the Eagles is that, you know, for all the deficiencies that Peterson has, I think the overall game plan works. And I think the coaching staff that's around him uh, has been solid as well. Yeah. Um, well, to give you some background, after Jason retired, Jason Garrett retired. He um, became the quarterback coach for the Miami Dolphins for a couple years under Saban and then became the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. And then obviously um, in 2010, he became, um, well, he became the offensive coordinator in 07 and became the head coach in um, 2010. He was the interim coach for Wade Phillips, who was fired after starting one in seven. So, so yeah. it's a it's a resume, but it's it's not necessarily that he's learned or developed right. an, an identity, right? Right. Well, yeah, you said something. Um, you just mentioned uh, two guys, um, Eric Bieniemy and Deuce Staley, who were good, very good running backs in their time, and have been have turned into uh, uh, great offensive coordinators. And there was this whole thing. I think last week. Well, or a well couple Deuce, weeks ago, Deuce is Deuce is actually the running backs coach, um, but I think he's kind of coming up for that OC uh, position. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, I think he's the running backs coach. But again, getting the most out of you know, he's he's on he's on his four stringer right now. Sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I was just um just going to just talk about see what your thought was, um, just from a fan perspective, if you had one or opinion on the whole Rooney Rule situation, um, with the hiring or lack thereof hiring of African American or black coaches. <laughs> so head coaches. Or coaches you know, in I, general, actually. I, rem- I remember when this came about 
uh, I remember talking to some folks at, at the NFLPA bowl prac probably back in, I would say this was probably 2012 ish. Um, we were having this conversation and the, the problem that I wanted to see is how it actually works in practice. Right. I mean, ultimately you should be judged on your merit. I think regardless of, you know, sex, regardless of, of color. Um, so, you know, these guys, you know, put their color aside, um, are, have proven themselves to be really strong, good coaches in terms of the Rooney role. The problem I already always had with the Rooney role and it's a joke and maybe it's a poor joke, but it's something that I, I was saying is like, it's like almost primed for, we used to call, say like a Kevin James like movie, right? Like Kevin, Kevin James is a down and out like football coach and he can't get any interviews and, Oh, wait a minute. He, he, he goes blackface and, uh, you know, he, he slips himself in as the Rooney role. Right. Um, the idea that, yeah, that was you know, funny. right. Like think about how, how, how stupid that sounds, but like, that was kind of the mentality is like, you're just going to recycle guys like, cause it wasn't hiring them. Right there, it was it was giving them the interviews. It was almost like, yeah, you're just gonna have no, you know, lack of better terms, token African Americans, token black coaches that do the interview. The team checks their box off and then moves moves along. I think um, I think there needs to be more representation, not just on the coaching side, but in in the ownership side and in, in the management side. I think that's kind of where it starts. Um, but again, to just blanketly say we need to interview this guy because he's an African-American coach, I think it diminishes uh, their talent, their skill, what they bring to the table a as a coach. Um, but, you know, maybe that's something that you need to kind of prime the pump to to change the culture a little bit. So, I, I don't know, kind of dancing around the question, I think in in theory, uh, it it's a good idea. I think in practice, it gets a little it gets a little trickier of how teams sort of get around that. And, and, you know, I think again, diminish the actual achievements of the coaches and, and it's not like they're being, so it's not like they're being hired because they're black or being interviewed because they're black, but because of what they brought. Like, I think those two guys that we just mentioned, like have, have earned the right as coaches, not earned the right as black coaches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I'll say, well, first, first I want to say that, yeah, you're right. Um, Steve Staley's running back coach, Philadelphia Eagles. I'm always fact checking. I just ain't gonna leave nothing <laughs> unbuttoned. But um, yeah, man, I think that my opinion on it is: look, the owners have the right to hire whoever they want to hire, um, rule in place or not. Uh, it, it's unfortunate um, that there are there's only one minority owner not being African American. So it's like, um, you know, I look at it as a, a a situation that, like you said, if it's not, if if there aren't more um, minority or African Americans in within management, then it's 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 not gonna really change. Cause at the, at the, at the same time, you know, um, some of these some of these owners or GMs or whoever are doing these hirings, they're not doing it, you know thinking even like oh i left out a black guy they want to go for who they want to go for like you said you know they're their best candidate and if the best candidate is you know the the coach's nephew then that's who they're hiring you know what i'm saying at the end of the day this is all a business um and i've been around it long enough to know that not every 
organization is about winning. You know what I'm saying? Um, because the best people, um, like you said, color, take away color, the best coaches, there are a lot of good coaches out there that get overlooked, black, white, or purple. I mean, we mentioned Vrabel. I mean, even a guy like that, I mean, only a couple years removed, right? I mean, what head coaching experience does he have? I, I don't know. He may, <laughs> that that I don't know of. But, you know, how do you insert something that's different, that's dynamic, um, you know? But, again, comes from a good sort of tutelage as well. Um, you know, yeah, Vrabel and, and John Robinson have a, a relationship from, yeah. uh, from New England. So, you know, like – is all you turn enough rocks over, you'll 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 find what you're looking for. But um, you know, like I said, if you own a team, you have the right to hire who whoever you want. Um, and I don't know how to solve that situation, but I was just curious to what you thought about it. Yeah, no, it's yeah. Um, well, I've spoken my part, but you know, in a similar vein, you know, talking about a guy like. Lamar Jackson, right? I mean, before the coaches, we've seen this with with quarterbacks. When we did an event down in South by Southwest, we had Brad Smith there, who was a wide receiver. I think he would have been a much better quarterback, and not that he was a bad wide receiver, but you know, he he didn't have the opportunity to do so. And now you got guys like Jackson, who was overlooked, um, and and is proving critics wrong. Um, you know, so I, there's a culture that's not just not in coaching or management. Uh, it's this mindset, which amazes me what you just said of that it should be all about winning and losing <laughs> and that's what you're going to be judged by and that's what history is going to judge you by but i guess these guys it don't matter they're going to make their money one way or another these teams aren't like hurting for anything so you know it kind of sucks and that sucks for the fans it sucks for the players it sucks for these coaching prospects all around yeah i mean look most sports have stereotypes most positions in the nfl have a stereotype um you know like you know, the quarterback position has to be smart. So, like, uh, African-American can't be smart. You know, middle linebackers should always be white guys so they can call the defense and lead the defense. You know, black guys can't. Or if there is uh, the black guy, they're going to have the white guy, the, you know, call the defense and stuff like that. So, you know, it just it, – I think that's just um, the fabric of, you know, our country and the history of our sports. So, you know, it just is what it is. One guy I do want to mention is uh, is Lovey Smith, only for the fact that he seems to be enjoying the hell out of himself at Illinois. But seeing him with that Santa Claus, it was like Black Santa Claus, that big yeah. white white yeah. beard man. I saw that during the. Uh, I mean, I hadn't paid any attention to it, and seeing that during one of the bowl games, uh, I was like, "Holy shit! Look at look at Lovey, man!" <laughs> and he just seemed that's, like happy and not being that, with the Bears. <laughs> that's a, that's another guy. That's another guy that should be coaching. You know what I'm saying? Um, went to Super Bowls and he got fired off. For nine and seven season, you know what I mean, um, and hasn't even been thought of in the NFL again for a job. So it's just, it's just all interesting. Well, before we kind of uh, move on, do we want to talk about the NFC? I don't know. Um. <laughs> yeah, nah, for sure. I, yeah, like we got 49ers and we got the Packers. I, I like the um, I like the 49ers over the Packers, and I, I say that because um, I feel like the 49ers have uh, really been battle tested. You know, um, and they've been the most consistent team all year. And I have to say that uh, the Packers haven't. I'm just I'm just curious to see um, the decisions that Matt LaFleur makes as a head coach if it comes down to uh, to come to crunch time. And I think that makes a, a big difference in um, in these games. And, and, and vice versa. I mean, Shanahan's, you know, not a 
not an old season vet either. I mean, it's two young coaches, right, going against each other. Um, and, and really kind of what they gotten out of it. Yeah, Packers, to me, again, it kind of goes back to the quarterback, like like a Russell, Russell Wilson. Like, you know, Aaron Rodgers has been there. He's done it. And he's a guy I wouldn't mind handing the keys to, you know. Um, good to go. But, I mean, the Niners, I, I watched them in – middle of the season where it was like, all right, well, they haven't had their tough part of the schedule and they're going to fall apart. But just, just watching the team was like, it was just fun to watch. They were enjoyable to watch. Just started paying a little bit more attention. Didn't know they would take it, you know, as far as they took it, but I, I got to agree with you. I think the Niners come through. I hope the Niners come through actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. San Francisco's defense definitely turns it up. You know, Bosa's out there like a madman. Um, Richard Sherman holds it down at the corner. Quan Sherman Alexander. just being the leader that he's being in San Francisco, too, has been been enjoyable to see. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the things, you know, some people might not like to hear him talk, say he's boisterous and everything. But, yo, he's, he's pretty much telling the truth. The things that he's saying um, are not are not lies. You know what I mean? You just usually don't say them about yourself, but look, <laughs> nobody else is going to say them as well. You know, I feel them. So, you know, it's the challenges you, you have to take being an older player. And it, it's, it's crazy and it's great, actually crazy in a good way to see him um, step up to those challenges. But um, the Titans definitely have a big challenge this week with the Kansas City Chiefs, man, because um, they, they played against the, the Titans last year. I mean, I'm sorry, um, this year. And um, Pat Mahomes came to town and put up numbers. Um, although Titans uh, finished the game with more points on the board, which counts the most, but, um, that high-powered offense uh, definitely of Kansas City definitely, um, you know, showed out. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, man, some of the teams that were in it that kind of got eliminated Vikings. I didn't know anything about Kirk cousins. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put my money on Kirk cousins. I'm surprised. Uh, you know, the saints got knocked out again. Um, but it is what it is. And I'll tell you, the bills was fun to watch. And, uh, that Texans game, I, I really thought they were going to, Oh man. Um, but just for that fan base is, you know, it is enjoyable. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're, they're out of their goddamn minds, but um, you know it would have been cool to see them go a little further. Yeah, that all man was for the Texans, man. Like, oh come on, bro. First of all, I was planning a tailgate in Houston because you know that would have been Houston Oilers, um, Tennessee Titans. You know, obviously that's where the Titans came from. That would have been super cool. But oh man, just twenty four up by twenty four. They were up by twenty. And lost by 20. Yeah. Uh, no, so that would have been cool. So, But before we we really wrap, um, you know, talk about quarterbacks national championship game yesterday. Um, you know, two guys that can sling it, two guys that can run the ball. You know, it's kind of being billed the, you know, the, the matchup of, of Burroughs uh, against Lawrence. Um, what did you think of the game? Um, I thought that LSU did everything that they've done all year. You know, um, Obviously, early in the game, they started backed up, so they were up with their backs against the wall the first few series, so it was kind of hard for them to kind of get their offense going. Um, but, you know, they got down, and they never panicked. They're such a high-powered offense, and, you know, Burroughs, Joe Burroughs did he threw, what, five touchdowns, 300-plus yards. He's been doing that all year. Uh, what surprised me the most was the performance of uh, Trevor Lawrence, you know, 
like they, they tout him as the number one pick if he came out this year, but he showed me a lot of inaccuracy. Uh, he showed me a lot of fight and will to want to win the game, just like any other quarterback will. But, you know, on more than a dozen throws, um, they were errant, either high, outside, low. And, you know, on a stage where you want to have your best performance, he didn't prove well to me. But shout out to Coach Ogeron, the LSU Tigers. Um, Coach O was my D-line coach for my first two years at Syracuse. So. Oh, we're going to we're gonna have to get into that a little bit at some point then. Maybe we do a Coach O show because I thought he was the best sort of sub-storyline between him and, uh, and Saban. Uh, I was I was kind of digging that sort of uh, subtweeting, uh, if you will. With the, Saban just went off on him too, man. Yeah, was, I mean, uh, I, I think I see he was on the podium, right? Yeah, yeah, a, day, a game day. Um, like I damn sure don't want to talk about Dabo. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like Sweeney too, man. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good coach. Um, yeah, back to Coach O though. When he was coaching, do you understand anything he said? Yeah, man. Um, you know what, man? And, you know, anybody that's played for Coach Ogeron, you know, loves the guy because, you know, as young kids, and you can attest, you know, especially when you're away from home, you don't mind being coached hard, you know, but at the same time, let me know that you're genuine. You know what I mean? Like, you can coach me hard, but be genuine. Like, I remember one time um, Coach O was running the scout team for whatever reason, um, the defensive scout team. And um, he was holding the cards up, showing the defense before we went out and emulated the play and simulated, I'm sorry, the play. And um, I think I gave him like some type of attitude. And he just turns to me. He's like, Bullock, Bullock, <laughs> I like you, Bullock. And I know you're going through something right now. But boy, you mess with me one more time, put your ass back to New York City, boy. <laughs> I was just like. Okay, I get where you're coming from because he would talk to everybody. You know, I'm going to pull that clip off and just send that one around, man. That was pretty good. That was a good impression. Don't do that, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, man, Coach O was a good dude. I actually saw him this past February when I was in L.A. with my kids. And, uh, you know, we we got to chop it up a little bit. Um, So, yeah, great great to see him, um, you know, have that success. You heard what he said to Burrow after his interview yesterday, right? Which one? Easy with that cigar, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a great picture of uh, of Burroughs, too, with that thing. And with that, um, that says Big Dick Joe. <laughs> well, you know, as Eagles fans, there's there's only one Big Dick in the uh, in the quarterback position. That's so BD, BDN. Uh, enough of that talk. Um, you know, speaking of cigars, uh, you know, we got some stuff coming up. We're not going to get into it right now, but keep an eye out on the outside game, uh, socials, uh, for a nice little party, uh, event and conversation that we're going to be having in Miami. Uh, we'll talk to you folks about that shortly, but keep an eye out. We're starting to trickle some information. Uh, in the meantime, it was nice to, to talk a little X's and O's in football and hopefully I held my own because you certainly know what the hell you're talking about. Sometimes I wonder cause my mind goes everywhere. Um, but that was fun, man. You're good, man. You're good. We'll get you better next season. You'll be ready. Let's uh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's try next week. Let's try something similar. Uh, let's see what happens with this uh, Titans Chiefs game, and certainly a, the NFC Championship. But I'm sure there'll be some conversation going into Super Bowl week that we can pull. Maybe grab a guest to talk about the season and the in the postseason. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, let's uh, let's get this audio up. Let's uh, listen for us next week. Look for the information, theoutsidegame.com. Uh, 
uh, yeah, Keith, till next week. That's Coach O. No, wait. It's sign off, sign off with Coach O, man. Oh, man, you put me on the spot. Yo, but look, uh... <laughs> Thanks for listening to the outside game. <laughs> <laughs> that was Keith. I'm Don. Till next week, we're out of here Yay. later. Peace. <laughs>